You are listening to the Mythical Jesus Podcast, taking the Christ of faith seriously. A podcast that dives into faith development, cognitive development, using Jesus as the framework for that. We dive deep into the Jesus of the New Testament, showing him as the preeminent example of development and what that development looks like. Buckle your seatbelts. Sit back, enjoy the ride. This is going to be a lot of fun because diving into the Jesus narrative has never been done like this before. You can visit our website at christoffaith.org. On the site, you will find tools, resources, documents to help you in your faith development and to better understand Jesus, the teacher, and his role in that. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Come thou found. Welcome back. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful for the chance to be with you today. This is episode 11. We have 10 episodes behind us. I hope that you've enjoyed those. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. And now that we've got 10 episodes out of the way, it gives us a chance now that you've gotten a feel for some of the things I think about and and I'm trying to share with you that we can start jumping into some other things from time to time. And today I want to do that. Today, I want to give you a framework for development and and maybe share with you a few thoughts of why I see Jesus as so monumental in in him being the the foundation or the example um, of what this looks like and how we can see these things happening. So today, I want to explain faith development. And I hope and pray that you'll take the time to listen to this and to try and grasp at these ideas that I'm sharing today. Social scientists have known for years that the human mind does not stop developing when one reaches adulthood. That instead, our brain continues to develop. Barring any disease or illness of the brain, it continues to develop till the day we die. In trying to track and discuss this development, scientists have tried to separate the process into stages. Uh, Some in this field of, of social science, they've separated it into a handful of stages, and some have gone so far as to split the process into over a dozen stages. Keep in mind, there really is no such thing as stages. That's the labels that we apply to the characteristics so that we can see the progression and the growth. Many of the experts in this field have related this development to one's interaction within their faith community, within their religious experience. And with the limited time I want to use up today in this episode, I've consolidated this process down to three center stages where most human beings reside, where the most misunderstanding occurs and the most conflict happens with those we love around beliefs in our faith community. We know this process has a direction. We know that it moves one way and that one cannot skip stages as they move through this development. This isn't a matter of bouncing around. This isn't a matter of going back and forth. This movement is forward, and this movement doesn't skip over. And so as we, as we go through these things, you can try to look at your own life, but also to look at the life of others and sense this development within every human being. 
We know that there are stages before the three that I'm going to talk about and that there are stages after the three that I'm going to talk about. And I want to encourage anyone who's listening to check out the resources on our website, christoffaith.org, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-F-F-A-I-T-H dot O-R-G. This episode will be in text form there, and on the bottom of that, you will find uh, resources that lead you to books and online articles where you can delve further into this developmental process. Also, uh, in the header menu of the website, you'll also see faith development articles and faith development books, and those resources will point you towards places where you can understand better, again, this process of development. So let's start with the earliest of the three stages we are talking about here. Stage one, the faithful stage. Most of us enter this stage in our teens, and this stage can last for our entire lives. In fact, most human beings arrive at this stage, and most human beings stay at this stage. What does this stage look like? Many in this stage know with certainty that their belief system is the right one. John Pauline said it this way, If they have been taught one particular perspective by an influential teacher or mentor, they may conclude that their teacher's way is the only way to think or act. They may feel that everybody needs to do things that way. They may even be inclined to punish offenders if they are in a position to do so. And worst of all, they cannot see their own rigidity. They see things in terms of black and white, us against them. They feel right and strong while other perspectives are wrong and weak. Every spiritual community has members that see things in this way. Again, John Pauline. This rigid black and white way of thinking influences their entire paradigm, only conforming to the truth they know is acceptable, and anything less is unacceptable to one with this trait and in this stage. In this faithful stage, quote, believers can become very legalistic and judgmental. Their lives can be governed by should or ought or must, and they can be quite frustrated with believers who don't see things quite the way they do. If they don't grow out of their initial inflexibility and simplicity of thought, they can become rigid in their approach to faith, unquote. Again, John Pauline. Rules are seen in this stage as keeping people safe. The commandments are to be followed to the letter of the law, and folks in this stage decide what it means to keep commandments, like keeping the Sabbath day holy, and what a full tithing is. It is also important to recognize where this stage locates their authority. At this stage, members of the church are wholly ethnocentric. This means their tribe is the right tribe. And their tribe and its leaders have the truth and the answers to all the questions. And if they don't have the answers, they'll be the one who gets the answers and they'll have them shortly. The ultimate source of truth for members in this stage comes from the wisdom of the tribe's leaders and the tribe's tradition. Regarding this ethnocentrism, quote, In the faithful stage, identity as part of a certain group is more important than the concept of self as an individual. 
So if someone were to point out an incongruity in religious tenets, rather than calmly consider both sides of an issue, the faithful person would turn away and might even label the person pointing out the incongruity as evil. If a logical discrepancy regarding religion were able to arise for someone at the faithful stage, he or she would not be able to address it because of the difficulty in facing the consequences of an answer that might lead away from the group. Thus, faithful level people either do not even perceive such discrepancies or they dismiss them out of hand, for they are not sufficiently individuated to face life without the support of a religious authority and their group. Unquote. That's Margaret Placentra Johnson. We talked about authority and how one locates their authority within the tribe, with the narrative they've been given, so the, the legacy or the tribe's tradition, as well as the leaders within the tribe who claim to speak for God and to have some divine authority to speak. Regarding this extrinsic locus of authority, Margaret Placentra Johnson says this, quote, the faithful level person is always at risk of descending into chaos without externally imposed rules. Thus, rather than the authority of personal conscience, the faithful person must subject himself to an oracle authority, in most cases provided by his religious institution, taking literal guidance from scripture and the literal word of the religious authorities. The faithful level accepts the beliefs put forth by their church in a literal sense, unquote. She further says this, quote, Faithful level people tend to accept whatever oracle authority tells them, be it their church, the government, or the leaders of their particular political party, because they like and need the rules and structure, because they do not question authority in a critical manner. They can be easily led or misled by their leaders, be they political or spiritual leaders. Security, certainty, rules, immutable answers, and the authority of leaders of their own group are traits to which people at the faithful level of spiritual development adhere tightly. They are easily threatened by change and by those who do not agree with their beliefs. Unquote. Again, that is Margaret Placentra Johnson. Robert Keeley says it this way, when he states that those in the faithful stage, quote, whether they are teens or adults, find their source of authority for their faith is primarily located outside themselves. Some religious leaders who see themselves as having God-given authority over their flock may structure their church in a synthetic conventional mode, and that's a reference to James Fowler and a earlier stage of faith that is also represented in this stage that we're speaking of, that the religious authorities of a church may sense the God-given authority that they have over this flock, and they will create a system that encourages people to depend on them. So again, back to what Robert Keeley is saying. Some religious leaders who see themselves as having God-given authority over their flock may structure their church in a synthetic conventional mode or a faithful stage type of church. 
depending on their followers to do pretty much what they say, unquote. These folks are seeing so much by way of blessing that they are certain their tribe is the right one. Eventually, many at this stage have success, and the church is working wonderfully for them. To them, it is a given that if others just followed the rules, it would work wonderfully for them too. John Pauline states it this way. He says at this stage, quote, You feel as if you have arrived. There is a strong sense of making a difference in the lives of others. There is a lot of spiritual satisfaction, a sense of accomplishment that comes with spiritual success. Like earlier stages, this is a stage where there is a high degree of confidence. You know you are doing good, and you know you are where you are supposed to be. A weakness at this stage is that it is the most resistant stage to mentoring. Faithful stage members who are in leadership positions don't feel a need for mentoring. They are now experts who mentor others, but have little need to learn from others. They are at the top of the mountain. There are no further stages to climb in their mind. As far as most religious institutions are concerned, people at this stage have reached the top. This is the goal, and it has now been achieved. If the stages of faith ended with stage three, few would be surprised." It should also be said that churches function most smoothly at this stage, and hence most religious institutions cater to this stage of development. And, And think about that for a moment. If we keep people at a stage where they trust the authorities within the religious institution, they want to be obedient to the letter of the law, They want to police others into being obedient to the letter of the law, and they want to fit into the tribe. They want to conform. That's a very easy stage. If you can keep people at that stage, it's a very easy place to make your church successful. It becomes much more difficult as we get into these other stages when you start to give people their independence and the freedom and encouragement to have their own thoughts and to differ and to disagree and to even criticize the institution. This stage trusts its leaders implicitly, are willing to have unquestioning obedience and emphasize the value of conforming to the tribe. Regarding where churches are at, John Pauline says this, quote, most religious institutions are stuck at this faithful stage or earlier. One reason is that the majority of all followers in a religious institution are relatively new and just beginning the journey themselves. A second reason is that religious institutions over time focus more and more on preservation of the institution rather than on the glory of God. Institutions crave and document all signs of success. But those successes are often measured in human terms more than God's terms. Religious institutions can come to crave power and wealth as much as any individual, but find it harder to repent than most individuals. In the next stage, contradictions begin to not only be seen, but also internally dealt with. But at the faithful stage, it is near impossible to recognize the contraries of one's faith. Regarding this seeing through a glass darkly, for example, members at this stage only deal with their religious narrative 
in literal concrete ways such as this, quote, the faithful level person has a tendency to hold a literal view of God and of scriptural text. His God is external to him and judges his actions. In general, a faithful person is less self-regulating than those at later stages. So he really needs to follow church rules to the letter. He cannot imagine how anyone could behave with integrity without the threat of punishment, whether by authorities here on earth or by a judgmental father God. The faithful person is pre-critical in that her faith has never been examined in an open-ended objective manner. Perhaps because her preacher has suggested it, the faithful person often holds an ethnocentric worldview where, quote, only my church is right, unquote, and then unquote to the entire section there. Again, Margaret Placentra Johnson. And regarding this lack of awareness of these contraries to one's faith, Margaret Placentra Johnson says, quote, In the faithful stage, identity as part of a certain group is more important than the concept of self as an individual. So if someone were to point out an incongruity in religious tenets, rather than calmly consider both sides of an issue, the faithful person would turn away and might even label the person pointing out the incongruity as evil. If a logical discrepancy regarding religion were able to arise for someone at the faithful stage, he or she would not be able to address it because of the difficulty in facing the consequences of an answer that might lead away from the group. Thus, faithful level people either do not even perceive such discrepancies or they dismiss them out of hand for they are not sufficiently individuated to face life without the support of a religious authority and their group. And I know we read that already, uh, but I think it's an important quote to touch on again as we work through this. So unquote Margaret Placentra Johnson again. One might ask, why is this stage, why are folks in this stage clinging so tight to conformity and agreement? Quote, Why do those at the faithful stage hold on to the forms and the rules so tightly? For one thing, they are uncomfortable with ambiguity. It threatens the certainty that they need. Anything that is other threatens the stability of their world. Thus, they readily accept proclamations by religious authorities that perspectives differing from their own faith group are wrong, misguided, or evil. Unquote. Margaret Placentra Johnson again. This is a major trait of the next stage, where folks in the individualist stage, which is the following stage after this faithful stage, quote, each begin to note discrepancies in the truths of their respective religions while they were still fully engaged in them. If they had not been ready to move to the individualist stage, they could not have allowed themselves to see the discrepancies. And so now we're getting ready to jump into this next stage. And for one to get into this next stage, as Margaret Placentra Johnson points out, they begin to see discrepancies or contraries to their own faith. Before one can move into the individualist stage, something has to happen. At least for most people who make this movement, There has to be where one kind of hits this wall, and that wall is called the dark night of the soul. It's a a crisis of some sort. 
And it's the gateway to the next stage. To leave this faithful stage where everything fits so well and the church seems to be working so well for someone, something first has to happen, a disruption of sorts. For many, they can relate to this disruption being so dramatic and traumatizing as to see the name Dark Night of the Soul as a fitting description. John Pauline, a Christian pastor, describes it this way, quote, At the very height of spiritual success, something tends to happen that we least expect, usually between the ages of 30 and 50. When followers are increasing, people are feeling blessed, funds are flowing into the congregation to support the ministry, awards are being given, comes a very unwelcomed guest. It is a personal crisis many have called the dark night of the soul. Past certainties become inadequate. We call into question everything we have ever believed and everything we have ever done. We feel like failures, like we can't do anything right. We are humbled. Our world caves in. Our faith, which sustained us powerfully up until this point, doesn't seem to work anymore. All of our answers are replaced with questions. God either vanishes from view or breaks out of the comfortable box we held him in. We hit bottom. We reach the end of our rope. We hit the wall and can seem to go no further on the spiritual journey. We have saved others, but ourselves we cannot save. We feel completely alone and abandoned by God. As one person put it, just when I got it all together, I forgot where I put it. Unquote, John Pauline. And I know that most people who have been through this, this dark night of the soul, these words resonate. This abrupt disruption makes everything unsettled and compels one to question everything to a parent or a church leader or a loved one and even the person themselves in this dark night. It feels like they have lost their way. It feels as if they have fallen off the path or at least losing their grip on it. But as John Pauline describes, the dark night of the soul seems like the end of our spiritual hopes and dreams, but it is not. It is actually a summons to deeper intimacy with God. It reveals that all of our successes, all of the good things we have done, were to some degree motivated by ambition and selfishness or by a desire to please others. We discover that our strong sense of purpose in this faithful stage was driven by others and or the church as much as by God. We realize that while the God we have known up until this point was real, we need to rediscover him as if for the first time. Unquote. Again, that's John Pauline. As people work to reconcile this disruptive time in their journey, they enter a new stage, and this new stage brings all sorts of new traits with it. This stage we call the individualist stage. If I can start with a quote from John F. Kennedy, Conformity is the jailer of freedom and the enemy of growth. While at the faithful stage, members were content feeling everything fit. Loved ones in this individualist stage feel, the, feel a real need to question and to deconstruct everything. Quote, they are constantly asking challenging questions. While this can indicate lack of faith in a spiritual person, it is a sign that God is calling them deeper. Individualist stage people like to be alone, yet are eager for mentoring. 
Cavaliers simply enjoy tripping people up with their questions. Stage four believers are genuinely seeking answers. And by stage four, we're talking about this individualist stage. That's a reference again to James Fowler's stages of faith. When they find the right person, they are quick to open their hearts. They are known by their desire for deep relationships. The cavalier uses questions to avoid relationship with spiritual people. The individualist stage believer uses questions to determine who is willing to go deep in relationship, unquote. As you can see from this last quote, people at this stage require real, authentic relationships and will guard themselves against those they perceive as unsafe. They will use questions and certain ways of having a conversation to test the ground to see who's willing to go deeper with them and who is a safe space to open themselves up to. Whereas in the last stage, the ultimate authority for truth was extrinsic in the religious institution. In this individualist stage, the person has relocated their authority within themselves. And I should say, there's kind of an in-between step. So originally, one only trusts the authorities within their tribe. As one hits the dark night of the soul, there is a new openness to looking for wisdom in outer authorities, but outside of one's own tribe. But this this willingness isn't genuine. It's almost a search for more contraries rather than a genuine search for wisdom. That does come later but it's after one generally hits this individualist stage. So a recognition that one trusts only the inner authorities in ethnocentricity or in the faithful stage. Then as one sees contraries and and, um, contradictions, one then opens themselves up to searching for validation that what they're seeing is real in authorities outside of their tribe. And then as they recognize that, they begin to locate authority within themselves. Here's a description of that. Quote, This is a stage that is characterized by what happens when we take control of our faith. When authority for our faith comes to reside within us instead of with someone else. When this real change in authority occurs, these people examine their faith in a way that they really didn't before. They take a step back from the faith that they accepted when they were younger, and they begin to ask if this faith really works for them. They perhaps engage questions that have been lurking under the surface for a while, but hadn't really allowed themselves to address. This feels very threatening for folks in earlier stages and also appears to be something other than progressive development to those folks in an earlier stage. But progressive development or growth is exactly what this is. Let me explain. When you are in the faithful stage and you sense somebody is beginning to question the authorities within your tribe, that person used to be in your tribe fully, both feet in, fully committed, just as uh, much conforming to the tribe as you do. And then this other person, they begin to question They begin to see contradictions. They begin to weigh wisdom 
based on its merit rather than the place that it is coming from. They no longer trust the authorities within the tribe explicitly. And this movement by them feels like a falling away to the one in the faithful stage. It feels like this person has lost their way. They've stepped off the path. And it feels like anything but development and growth. But that is exactly what it is. Quote, To arrive at the individualist stage, a person must have individuated. Her concept of herself as an individual must have become stronger than her identity as part of a certain group. This does not mean she is selfish. It does mean if the values or beliefs of her group, her faith community, for example, no longer make sense to her, she has the strength to branch out. Confidence in one's own reasoning power takes precedence over loyalty to and dependence upon one's own tribe. The individual's view of the truth becomes more important than the membership in the faith group or even the family. Unquote. And that's Margaret Placentra Johnson. This can be heartbreaking to a loved one in an earlier stage. When this individual sheds parts and portions of their religious tradition, their religious belief system, and their religious community, some folks in this stage stay in their religious community while others completely walk away. There are lots of factors that determine how this turns out, and I would point people to understand Gottman's ratio to understand why some stay and why some leave after going through this process. There are lots of factors that determine how this turns out, and while heartbreaking, there is no magic formula for keeping these folks connected to their church other than, in terms of Gottman's ratio, the number of good experiences in comparison to the bad experiences. If these people continue to have overwhelmingly good experiences in their religious institution, they're much more likely to stay. If they're understood, they're validated, they're given a space to share their voice, they may stay. If people distance themselves, if people shame them for asking questions, if people make no safe space for the hard questions, they're likely to leave. While no magic formula exists, there are things that those in those earlier stages are doing to complicate the matter. One, don't articulate doubt as a bad thing. It is a part of growth, and it's the other side of the coin of faith. Two, those who label people in this stage as off the path, or a tear among the wheat, or the chafe, or as less faithful in some way, you're going to diminish and marginalize those going through this process. Three, fail to create a safe space for questioning and for dissent and for critical thought. People at this stage will doubt. They will question everything and they will disagree with portions of their faith tradition. If we feel threatened and are defensive to these traits, then we will have little chance to help them reconcile this tr transition with continued activity in the church. Speaking of how to help, it has been stated, quote, encourage individualist stage people that their questions and doubts are not a scuttling of the spiritual journey, but a renewed call from God to a deeper relationship with him. 
What individualist stage people need in their mentors above all else is acceptance and affirmation. They tend to be very hard on themselves, help them know that God is with them in their questions, their searching, and even their doubt. Encourage them to let God out of the box that he may have been placed in during an earlier stage, unquote. These folks will feel empowered to go where reason and data takes them. It has been described this way, quote, willingness to apply reason in determining one's beliefs and live with the moral, social, and philosophical consequences is a sign of growth, a mark of individuation, a measure of personal strength and maturity. Reason outweighs comfort and it outweighs safety. Science is trusted more than tradition or scripture. Truth is valued over conformity, claiming salvation for or extending worldly privilege to one's own religious group begins to sound selfish and limited, unquote. Again, Margaret Placentra Johnson. As this quote entails, one in the individualist stage has moved from ethnocentric to world-centric value system. They will no longer give deference to their tribe. If they see pain caused in the world and it is their tribe causing the pain, they will, in their own way, dissent. They no longer see their tribe as God's favorite and they have the ability to truly empathize with others who are different than their tribe. They also no longer feel imposed to take all scriptural stories as literal, nor will they maintain belief in a theology that reason is stacked up against. This will have them reevaluating what scripture is, what it means to be a prophet, what it means to receive revelations, what it means to have the Holy Ghost or to keep commandments, and ultimately if there is a God and if he can be defined the way our faith tradition or for that matter any faith tradition has defined him. They still feel ultimate answers are out there and they are searching desperately for those answers. The faithful stage entailed everything fitting together perfectly and the individualist stage has them picking up the pieces when that came crashing down. Some pieces may be kept and others discarded entirely. When the process is over and the person has reassembled their paradigm to some degree, they will begin to edge into the third stage that we will now cover. This third stage we want to talk about, and again, it's only third in terms of the three stages we're mentioning. There are stages before, there are stages after, and these stages can be broken up in a thousand different ways. This stage we want to call the strategist stage. This stage may look similar to the faithful stage from an outsider's perspective. For those who continue or reconnect with their religious tradition from earlier stages, their new faith is wholly and completely different. Quote, it is similar to the faithful stage, but the motives are different. The person is peaceful and patient rather than stressed and driven. It is as if they have come out of a deep crisis. They are unafraid of people or whatever situation might come. I think of Daniel. After the lion's den, what king could possibly intimidate him? As mentioned above, people in the strategist stage often change jobs, mission, and or location in ways that mystify others, but they are living God's purpose, not the purpose that others would set before them. As a result, stage five is much more misunderstood than stage three. The ways of human beings in human institutions are not God's ways, unquote. That's John Pauline. While they may stay in their faith tradition from earlier stages, 
their faith will be much different within them. They may return to similar language or participate in the rituals, but this faith, if spelled out, would be foreign to most members of the church. What God is, what purpose prophets serve, what authority the church has, what is the priesthood, what God thinks of other faiths, and how God is working out his plan have all been reconstructed in ways that would be understood as heretical if articulated with no language boundaries, with no pressure to frame one's words a certain way. Folks in this stage are aware of this divide, and they intentionally use words and descriptions that allow those in earlier stages to maintain their comfort. Robert Keeley explains it this way, In the strategist stage, the unsettled sense that existed in the individualist stage settles down significantly. People in this stage can own a faith of the community in a way that they couldn't before. There are still questions, but these arise in the context of a solid faith. There is a strong sense that the my faith, quote unquote, that the person developed at a stage earlier has become, quote unquote, our faith. People in this stage recognize that long-standing expressions of faith have depth and richness to them, and they stand ready to embrace them. They may be ready for significant encounters with religious faith traditions outside their own, but unlike an earlier stage in which they desire to try out other ways of faith to see if they fit, this is a deep commitment to seeing if other traditions might have insights that can enrich the experience. This stage represents a faith that does not place authority in the hands of someone else, but it is also not afraid to recognize the wisdom that others can share with regard to faith, unquote. As this quote speaks to, folks in this stage welcome truth from any corner they can find it. Their faith tradition has no monopoly on truth, and these folks envelop truth from outside sources in a way that earlier stages could only give lip service to. While the faithful stage person would say they welcome truth, the strategist stage person is actually actively assimilating truth from any source they can find it, even if that truth runs counter to their faith tradition. Understanding the shift from the individualist stage to the strategist stage, it has been said that in the individualist stage, a person discovers unique purpose God has for their lives. They add to a head knowledge of God and others, a heart knowledge driven more by compassion than the facts. While in the world-centric stage, they sought solitude in the attention of high-level mentors, in the cosmic-centric stage, they go back out into the world, doing many of the things they did before but now with different motives and a different purpose. Their lives are driven by their connection with God more than the consensus of committees or the direction of others. They put into practice what it means to walk with God. Now that's John Pauline. And when, when these folks are mentioning God, they're not mentioning the God that all of us had our own interpretation of as a kid, as we lived within these religious paradigms and God was defined a certain way. Instead, you'll find that anybody in these later stages, when they're talking about God, they're simply trying to use that as a word to define the mystery in the universe and a recognition that to like define God, to put him in a box, just never really encapsulates 
what that is. Um, While mostly speaking to those who find ways to stay connected to their faith tradition of earlier stages, we also probably should note something about those who have left the church and have moved into the cosmic-centric stage while being non-believing in, uh, in religious theology. Margaret uh, Placentra Johnston uh, has said this. She says, quote, Non-believers at this stage are not the crazed and immoral atheist that fundamentalists denounce. For the most part, they have instead found a source of moral guidance within their own conscience that allows for more flexibility than the rules of their faith group in determining right from wrong. This is not the moral relativism traditional religionists warn against. Rather, it is a function of the higher authority situated within the individual, the discerning sensibility that acknowledges that in some situations traditional rules do not apply. Being governed by the authority of one's own conscience, the rational level person does not need the rules of the church to control his behavior. And it should also be noted, too, at some point, as one moves through these stages of development, and, and I hope you see as you listen to this and you begin to work your way through this podcast, that you, you grasp that the goal of the Mythical Jesus podcast here on ChristofFaith.org is to help you as an individual understand these stages and feel the encouragement and have the tools and resources to move on this journey through these. And most people who find this podcast appealing are going to be folks who have already begun or even completely left that ethnocentric paradigm. And all too often folks who traverse that stage into later stages There's a sense of being alone, a sense of not having anyone who speaks your language, this new developing language and perspective that you've got. And so this podcast hopes to be a tool and a resource to you while while hoping and helping us to have a deeper appreciation for the life of Jesus Christ as told through the New Testament. And as I pointed out, there's this second dark night of the soul Folks in this uh, either world-centric or, or cosmic-centric stage, sometimes these folks will choose to re-engage their religious faith. They'll, they'll get back into church, or maybe they never left, but now they're doing it differently. And now these folks are staying in their church, not because it's true, not because it's the one faith that will get them to heaven, but rather because they see it as a useful tool to development. And you would think, and and this is the trouble, this is why this second dark night of the soul happens, but you would think that once you get to the stage where things are not literal and you, you see all these mystical insights in the scriptures and you recognize that Jesus is a teacher who is pushing us in these stages of development, that when you raise your hand and you make a comment, that people would be like, wow, listen to the wisdom in that guy. Listen to the wisdom in that lady. But that's not what happens generally. Folks in this stage or in these stages who re-engage the church 
should be cautioned about another disruption that comes at this time. As you have reassimilated yourself into a Christian church, perhaps the one you grew up in, perhaps another one that welcomes those gifts more fully, you're going to need to fortify yourself against another paradox that works to help you continue along the developmental journey. As John Pauline puts it, one would think, and this is him, quote, one would think that the closer you come to God, the more you are in tune with his will and his ways, the more you would be appreciated by others who are also on the spiritual journey, and the more you would be appreciated by religious institutions. But the opposite is often the case. The second dark night of the soul is the discovery that the closer you walk with God, the more out of step you seem to be with religious communities and institutions, the less you are understood by others, even though they are on the spiritual path. As the approval of God becomes deeper, the disapproval of others becomes a burden that you have to carry. It has been said of Jesus that he was neither elated by applause nor downcast by censure. But at this stage, the pain of rejection is still felt and often precipitates a second dark night of the soul. The second dark night arises for other reasons than rejection, but that is the major one. What is its purpose in the plan of God? Another opportunity to heal, another opportunity to grow. Human beings are like onions with layers upon layers of selfishness and hiding from God that need to be peeled away one at a time. In a real sense, the dark night may manifest itself multiple times as God engages a human heart in a journey that leads ever closer to him. So as, con- as a conclusion, the goal here is not to judge others on where they are or to give us a place to boast because of how far along the path we've moved. And all too often, these stages can be used that way. And I'm guilty myself in my life of having used these stages that way as a weapon. They're really not. They're, it's a tool. And it's a resource to help us inside ourselves not to be used as a weapon outward against others. The only time we should be using these stages with others is when we see those who are on this path and they can't figure out why, why things have broken apart and they can't figure out why things are so different and why their life is changing and they no longer fit in that religious paradigm that they once did and to use this as a tool and resource to help. These stages are real and when understood, they can help us bridge gaps They can help keep us from making the mistake of labeling people in ways that stop the discussion or hurt relationships. Once we see that our loved ones are climbing rather than falling, we can be more supportive and in the end more helpful. And I'm hopeful for the day when our faith traditions all around us can provide a safe space for such development. If we really understood the New Testament and the Christ of the New Testament, We would use the gospel as a foundational paradigm to help people move through these stages. When the safe place exists, when there's a safe space there, people will feel safer moving into later stages of development, engaged in the tradition of earlier stages without feeling pushed out and feeling there is a place here for them to help us on this journey of faith development. This has been the Mythical Jesus podcast. I hope this is helpful. There are resources for this perspective on our website. Please visit us at christoffaith.org.
I'm your host, Bill Real. Until next time. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing